Welcome to the Path 5 Podcast. The Path 5 team is a dedicated group of professionals hailing from diverse backgrounds, all anchored in making the world a safer place. Thanks for joining us while we dive into today's topic. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to this episode of the Path 5 Podcast. We are so thrilled to be here with you tonight this morning or this afternoon whatever time it is for you that's what time it is for us and just like bro neil says we hope it's going on for you it's definitely going on for us team is assembled to go over what may be the most important topic of our time a little bit of foreshadowing there a little little foreboding but nevertheless probably fairly accurate we are going to discuss a new axis that is forming on our planet. And we're just going to call it uh, the new axis because there's been other axes uh, in history. However, the most known axis throughout history was in World War II, obviously Germany and Japan. Uh, Italy was in the middle, little little sandwich, little stromboli. All right, so what we've been seeing is a new axis forming between China, Russia, right? That's kind of a no-brainer. I think everyone's up to speed on that. Yeah, that was on everyone's bingo cards from what I know, so. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So we've got Russia, China, pretty well known. However, we've got some uh, new kids showing up at the party, Iran and Saudi Arabia. I would throw Venezuela in the mix as well. So just keep that in mind. You know, they're they're kind of like the, the the Western Hemisphere representative in this axis. But with that being said, we have talked about this quite a bit in some of our past episodes, looking at geopolitical situations, various alliances that were forming, various sanctions that were imposed on different countries due to transgressions or functions that were viewed as transgressions by the international community. So we have spent an awful lot of time talking about this. And luckily, we've got some heavy hitters on the podcast tonight from the team. Go around the horn, give you guys a little bit of an introduction for our newer listeners who are unfamiliar with the various personalities that we have on this very tight-knit group. And I will start with Irish. He is our international relations, uh, foreign policy master guru. Uh, Literally has a master's degree in that topic. Uh, Very knowledgeable, been around the world several times alongside uh, several other team members and just uh, an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to dime and if you're unfamiliar with that acronym, that is Diplomacy, Intelligence, Military, and Economics, which are the instruments of national power. Next up, sitting next to him on my screen, we've got the infamous Broneal. Broneal is our uh, jack-of-all-trades on the team. He is uh, impressively creative and pretty much a uh, ad hoc engineer for all things that can move or go bang. 
So much, much appreciated. Thank you for your time tonight. And then directly next to him, we have Boomer. Uh, Boomer earned his name because he uh, really likes to demo some things. We'll, uh, we'll put it that way. Um, he's a former sapper, company commander, uh, engineer officer in the Army. Very, very well versed in anything engineering, uh, whether it's mechanical or civil. And uh, very good at process-based systems as well. So we've got uh, also has a uh, deployment to Africa, which uh, has lended him some some great perspective and has added on to our deployments to the Middle East uh, between Irish and myself. So let's go ahead and kick it, guys. Let's talk about this axis that is emerging. Uh, this is really interesting and could have and will have undoubtedly major implications. Um, what we're going to do for you guys tonight is we're going to employ that DIME acronym that I broke out for you. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to employ that more towards the end of the episode to break everything down for you in terms of national power. I believe that we actually covered a lot of this in season one of this podcast. You guys might remember it was an episode entitled What Else is Going On in the World? And we actually got into the relationship between Venezuela and Russia and how Western powers and our sanctions on Venezuela could readily spawn a relationship there, a relationship of necessity in a sense, right? You've got a one country whose economy is being greatly threatened and impacted by a group of other countries who also have this uh, mutual um, enemy, we'll say, or adversary. Well, guess what? Venezuela doesn't have that adversary, and they're also interested in banding up with all the other cool kids in the class in their eyes that are getting sanctioned to form their own economic and logistics connections that can circumvent said sanctions and allow them to thrive. So I think that we're probably seeing a, a natural byproduct of that, but uh, I would like to first start off with Iran. I want to, I want to get into this part of Asia and its relationship to, uh, to the Middle East. So what's going on in good old Iran? I mean, there's, not just Iran, but I mean, China's kind of sneaking in, getting some deals and some peace talks, some friendly handshakes between Iran and Saudi. Um, yeah, yeah. Which historically so, has been kind of an impossible thing. Right. So I guess is that simply due as to the primary uh, difference between like the Shia and the Sunni sects of the Islamic religion or, or what's been the driving force between that tenuous relationship? I, I believe that is the driving force. Um, and Irish, you can definitely step in if you'd like here. Um, but for me, you know, we, we've always seen, especially growing up, you know, the United States pushing its influence, uh, even as recent as Donald Trump having, you know, kind of groundbreaking, talks with countries that it was kind of seen as like a no-go zone. Um, and then China does kind of the same thing, flexing their geopolitical power to say, Hey, like we can, we can get some trade going on between you guys, you know? Yeah, definitely. 
No, I, I totally, I totally understand that. <laughs> you can hear Bronio's got his, his uh, weekly foster dog in the background there, uh, currently wrestling with his wife. So maybe he'll, he'll let us know who wins that fight <laughs> towards the end of the podcast. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that that's a great point. So we have this really unique situation in which you have these, I guess, ties between these two countries, Iran and Saudi Arabia, of this ancient distrust for one another. And you also have really kind of narrow separation there. And by the way, what what entity did separate them? Oh, yeah, that's that's Iraq, uh, especially in the power balance of the region. And oh, by the way, we we removed them uh, from being a contender in the region. Therefore, Iran and Saudi were were a lot more close to each other in the power struggle than they were before with that buffer removed. Uh, so you have this situation in which you got these two countries that do not like each other and China sees an opportunity to swoop on in, flex their diplomatic brass and try to set a precedent of, Hey, we're in the region. We are actually going to broker peace. Unlike America, which came in here, full of steam in 2003 and voila established themselves as a power player. What do you think Irish? Yeah. So there, there's a little more to unpack here, right? Cause as any Western or at least American that's running around the woods, listening to this and reading the newspapers, they're not going to realize that this is a fairly recent uh, bitter split between Iran and Saudi Arabia. It was only about seven years ago. They cut diplomatic ties. So in the grand scheme of the middle East, it's not that long ago. And if you look a little farther back, they weren't that far apart um, when you're looking at you know, Saddam Hussein's regime and his uh, invasion of Iran and the support that, that Saudi gave to uh, in the 90s to us, the, the United States and his coalition to you know, removing uh, Iraq from Kuwait. Right. And, and, and whether or not, you know, yeah. we agreed with the Ayatollah, it's it hasn't been such an active uh negative imbalance when it comes to the United States. It's the majority of that comes from Israel, right? Uh, and their, their natural distrust for one another. But when it comes to this uh, distrust between Saudi and, and Iran, right? It's really been a, a pretty recent thing when it, you talk in the grand scheme of, of global economics and, and the great power competition and whatnot. And then secondly, China moving in there, you know, does two things. It, it pushes their five-point initiative and their four-point proposal they pushed out more recently. And it, it puts them in a position to support the United States, not really denting the U.S.'s credibility in the Gulf, but it supports what the U.S. wants, which is stability, right? And, our, and China wants stability there too, because that's their Belt and Road Initiative. goes rolls right through there. They're, they're looking for that you know Middle East, North Africa um, area to, to really be way less uh, volatile than it is today, right? It's why you're seeing the Yemen, uh, Saudi and Yemen you know, conversations going on and, and release and whatnot. And that's why the, the Iranian and, and uh, Saudi conversations began, which did begin before, right? There's some, during the Trump era, they did have initial conversations. It broke down, but stuff does happen, right? Um, and even the United States was pushing in the Obama administration to really get on a good... Uh, good page with Iran with their nuclear deal, whether you agree with it or not, right? Our our own, uh, what would we call it, goals 
was to what? Bring stability to the region in order to push our economic goals, right? And that's what China's doing as well. And I think it's more mutually beneficial than mutually exclusive in that in that uh, aspect. Right. Yeah, because you've got this interesting wedge between Iran and Saudi right now, especially focusing on Yemen, as you brought up. So there's been numerous vessels seized by U.S. CENTCOM and other authorities in the region that were bound from Iran to make their way to Yemen uh, with arms for the uh, Houthi rebels that are engaged in some pretty bitter conflict with the Saudis along that uh, southern border of the kingdom. Keep in mind, these are the folks that even during last year's Formula One race for the uh, Saudi Grand Prix decided to set off an explosion uh, across the town from the actual racetrack, uh, which triggered a lot of questions about the security within Saudi Arabia's borders. So I think that there's a, a bigger bigger role here uh, that's being played by China. Like if they can, if they can broker this deal and end some of this bloodshed, they can really emerge from the shadows of their current reputation. Yep. So, and it's nothing new, right? I think uh, the five point proposal for those folks that don't know, right? This was uh, pushed out by uh, Wang Yi, um, one of the leaders of state council and foreign minister uh, for China. But the five points aren't anything that, that people wouldn't understand which is, you know, number one, advocating for mutual respect, right? You're seeing that with the, the conversation between Syria, Yemen, Libya, uh, and for North Africa, right? This is the, the region they're talking about. Um, uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia talking, right? Any peace between Israel and, and whoever they're talking to that the United States was doing, right? That's a, a mutual um, respect for the, the region, right? Brings stability, brings economic prosperity, helps their Belt and Road Initiative, helps us with our economic uh, pushes for the Middle East as well. Uh, the second one being upholding equity and justice. I mean, that just talks to it itself, right? Whether that justice happens to be, whether we agree or disagree with it, that's what they're looking for. Because uh, I know that regardless of what the United States wants to say, our alignment with Saudi Arabia, I wouldn't say that necessarily our uh, our goals for how we treat our population are the same and their, their execution, literal and figuratively, and pun intended there, of their goals is also you know something that as long as they're you know, upholding, you know, the equity and, uh, and justice, that's all that they really care about. The third being achieving non-proliferation, right? So that's along with the United States, it's hand in hand with, with our non-proliferation, tongue twister for me here today, uh, you know, with Iran and, and their nuclear uh, commitments and intents, right? And the fourth one being jointly fostering collective security. Uh, again, what's the United States been proposing for the, the Middle East for so long? Same exact thing. And then the fifth, uh, accelerating development uh, cooperation. That's again plays into peace and security of the Middle East, being able to rebuild after these conflicts and and, and rebuild the economic prosperity of, of a lot of the the Middle East and, and the Fertile Crescent, so to speak, that, that's out there, right? Because if you look at the countries there, you're looking at Syria, you're looking at Iraq. They're war torn countries that that don't have the central government required to really continue to push what they're economically viable for, which is oil, right? The, the, the oil trade is huge in the Middle East. OPEC used to have such a large, you know, share of, of global share of the oil industry. And now with Russia and even the United States up until recently, right, they were losing a lot of that market share. 
So how do we give them the power back and how does that benefit the uh, China? It's having a prosperous Middle East. So those are the, that's the five right there with the Belt and Road Initiative uh, that, that Wang Yi proposed back in 2021. So it's been a few yeah. years that's out there. Oh, definitely. So thank you very much for breaking that down for us. I think that's very important for folks to understand. Uh, Boomer was actually, uh, he has bore witness to this firsthand during his travels around Africa. So, so yeah, what I do mean, some of the things that you've seen relate to this, this five point position? Africa is a very, it's a strategic uh, continent for a lot of people the first overseas uh, Chinese military base is being constructed um, in, in Djibouti right now. Uh, Africa has become this conglomerate of sort of um, an area where foreign militaries have interest. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of foreign militaries recently have had interest in Africa. Um, and a lot of foreign militaries have also left um, you know, Africa was largely colonized for for some period of time, and and it's 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 no longer that way. But uh, a lot of the influence still remains. Um, yeah, and you know there is there is definitely um, a large degree of of Chinese influence. Um, you know them, and and this is all you know open source. Like I said, they're building their first uh, overseas. Um, uh, military installation right in in Djibouti and building a port and they've they've uh you know if you if you travel around the continent you see a lot of vehicles and construction sites and you know they all have Chinese markings on them and and they have uh um definitely a vested interest in the area yeah I remember uh being on the phone with you when you were passing through it was like Ethiopia or one of those countries and uh, you were in the airport and you're like, Oh, hang on. So we we're talking about something that was going on. And I was like, Oh, what's up? And you're like, Oh, there's just some uh, Chinese soldiers behind me. And I was like, wait, what? Like in the airport, oh. like PLA. And well, you're like, yeah, man. Funny, funny story. They, they were actually uh, South Korean. Um, I came to find out later. I just, <laughs> my bad, you know, well, well done, Boomer. Way to, way to hit that one right out of the park. Uh, okay. Well, anyhow. Well, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. If I may, I, I want to bring one more uh, Iran-Venezuela connection in. Um, so they've had a really good history um, back and forth, but more recently in 2022 and this is israeli intelligence that's coming out and saying this but um apparently according to israeli intelligence iranian naval forces are planning on building a base in the ports of venezuela very similar to what boomer was just talking about going on in africa which i think is kind of wild um and one of the biggest importers of uh iranian petroleum is Venezuela and China um, and Iran's, you know, had a history of, of working with them. I mean, they were founders of OPEC um, and that led China to actually having its Navy established in the Panama Canal, which was a, a bit of a news story. Um, and then 
I mean, Venezuela and Russia real quick. I mean, in 2022, Maduro there expressed his strong support for Russia um, when it came to the invasion of Ukraine. So all three of these countries seem to be pretty tight, I'd say, uh, making Chinese moves. And by that, I mean putting Iranian uh, naval ports in Venezuela is kind of nuts. And they'll apparently also have uh, direct flights from Caracas to Tehran starting August of 2023. So they're definitely doing it. Um, but I kind of want to switch gears, uh, talk about Saudi Arabia a little bit. Um, so one of the biggest things that's kind of been a buzzword for a while is the petrodollar. Um, right. Oil is yeah. traded. Yeah. So oil is predominantly, and I say predominantly traded, uh, cause it's always going to be traded on different currencies, but it was predominantly traded on the U S dollar. Um, because for a while there, um, even though the U.S. dollar is a fiat currency and it's not based off of any standard, um, it once was the gold standard, but thank you, Federal Reserve. Um, there's been a, a lack of faith in U.S. currency, and that's why people are <clears> – <throat> one of the reasons why people are moving away from the petrodollar. Um, the other big one is, of course, avoiding um, sanctions. And that's kind of led to the rise of this little axis that we see because oil is now being traded on the yuan, which is China's currency, and countries like Russia or Venezuela or Iran or, you know, you name it, who is barred from using U.S. currency in this way, um, now they just got a way to get oil. So they're back on the map and these countries can continue to, to move outside of our tariffs and, uh, and other economic pressures. Um, and even Japan's now purchasing oil from Russia. And I think it's like 60 bucks a barrel, which is pretty decent piece when you look at what OPEC's pushing out. All right. And, so I do want to, uh, I want to explain this in a uh, Harry Potter terms. Oh, okay. Um, just for, our, for our listeners. So I'm, I'm, Interested that you picked Harry Potter about movies, but let's let's move forward. Well, how many of our oh. listeners are you assuming are identify as Harry Potter fans? <laughs> uh, hey, hey, I just watched all the movies recently. Don't even pro- have probably a lot demographic that you think. <laughs> oh, I, I I wouldn't think so. Normal people are really into Harry Potter. Believe it or not. <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> um, so. So, for instance, just to explain Bronio's point in uh, Harry Potter terms and, and Hogwarts terminology, um, if you had to, you had four buttons in front of you. You had Gryffindor, you had Hufflepuff, you had Ravenclaw, you had Slytherin, and somebody was like, "Hey, this wizard is evil, evil as heck." I almost said some other words, so I'm trying not to swear as much. Uh, which house would he come from? Be like, bam, you'd smash the green one. You would smoke that thing because Slytherin. And you want to know why? Because they got that reputation. And you want to know why they had that reputation? A couple dudes did some questionable stuff. However, all those other three houses, well, they alienated Slytherin. They made them into the bad guy, the historic bad guy. Hey, We've so- done the same thing with Russia. With Iran, 
with Venezuela. And we should have done it real hard with Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, we'll say early spring of 2002, but instead we invaded Afghanistan. What's your so question? I'm call... Oh, I didn't have a question. I was going to call you out and say those are definitely just pop culture Hogwarts references because I've known you for a long time and you have never read the Harry Potter books. Okay, so here's the thing. We have known each other since we were 14. I read them before I met you, so Sue gone dad. Okay. Anyhow. Nerd. It's fair though. I don't. I don't have a Deathly Hollow sticker on the back of my truck. I know what actually kills people. Anyhow, all right. So we covered it in Harry Potter references. Yeah, and I think that's. I think that's very accurate. Do you think you know, it worked? I mean, did yeah. it work? When you push people, you know, they're gonna find another crew to hang with, and if they're not hanging with your crew, they don't have to play by your rules. So exactly, you know. That's one of the one of the big things that I've been seeing. Irish, would you like to jump in on this? Yeah, it's um, looking back at history, right? Historically, like it hasn't always been the U.S. dollar as the petrodollar. The reason why it came to be was in the '70s when the U.S. made some trades with the prince, whoever the prince happened to be back in the day, and our assurances were based on the dollar, right? And and then other countries followed suit. OPEC ended up following all those organizations of petroleum exporting countries followed suit and that's when the petrodollar was born and that wasn't until like 75 yeah we're we're looking at a solid 50 years of the petrodollar being the the primary currency to purchase oil but that doesn't change the primary currency for other commodities like silver or gold or any of these other things that are out there it's just strictly for oil right that's why it's the petrodollar not you know the world currency whatever but if you think about the world's reserve currency, right? The United States, the U.S. dollar currently has that that seat on the mantle, but it's going to go away at some point. That's just the natural order of the world from a a, a polar. You know, you have your multipolar world, right? You have multi, multiple leaders. You can't just have a single hegemony in charge of the world order forever. It's just not the way that we, the the world works, and we've seen right. it time and time again. Yeah, there's always going to be a push pull. So. The British pound was the central reserve, the world's reserve currency for a while. I don't know how many years. You know, the the, the French franc uh, was the world's reserve currency for a while. The Dutch guilder, another one, which is a, a reserve currency that's yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, so again, just because we're seeing it go away as the petrodollar or, or, or be lessened, at, it's not going away as petrodollar. We're not trading in the, the yuan right now. Right? The United States is making their deals in Chinese currency. It's just right. those countries are focusing on on trading on the Chinese currency when making deals with China. We better not. I will move to Finland. It, it's like you and I right now. It's like if, if you and I go to Thailand, you're not going to pay with U.S. dollars because it's just a weird way to convert money. You're going right. to convert your U.S. dollar to, to whatever the Thai bot and you're going to purchase stuff with the bot. Yeah, of course. Right, so it's, it's the same thing. They're going to trade whatever their currency, their home currency, is in for Chinese currency, just like they did for the U.S. And that's how they purchase the stuff. Right. In, yeah. In a very simplistic way. Very simplistic. So, no, I, all the I, economic I, professors out there that are listening to this, I'm sorry I butchered that, but trying to no, I, I love it because you're capturing something that's very important, and it's this: even if we lose the so-called petrodollar 
or an extended period of time, it's really not the end of the world, right? It's not. However, our media will probably not uh, showcase that information that Iris just listed, that this is a relatively recent occurrence in world history in which we were even in the position to to have the petrodollar, right? And oh, by the way, we were, we, I say, as America, were a superpower before the 70s rolled around that enabled us to take the opportunity to sit atop this, this petro throne of sorts, right? <laughs> Just to be used as currency. Uh, however, it does showcase, though, just this natural response as previously discussed, because one of the things, and you can feel however you want to about him, but one of the things that I feel that President Trump did very well for America was greatly, I guess, was sponsor the great reduction in energy reliance on the Middle East and Saudi Arabia as a whole. Uh, obviously, there's controversial techniques behind that. You get into fracking, offshore drilling, things of that nature. Totally understand it. I get it. But we were put in an opportunity where Saudi didn't have us by the balls. And that was a very good position to be in. However, it's only a good position to be in if you can maintain it. If you can't maintain it, like we are not maintaining it now under uh, the current administration, well, guess what? Now Saudi is a little bit bitter with us for our independence from them. And now we're we're crawling back to them uh, for the same type of support that we had shaken. So I think that that's a really important aspect for our, our listeners to understand as well. And one other yeah. key point there is understanding that this is not something that's new. Sorry for the, the dog shaking their uh in the background, but since 2001, we've been in a steady decline for world reserves anyway, right? It was in 90, between 93 and 2001, we skyrocketed, the U.S. skyrocketed as the, the world reserve currency holder, right? And then as of 2001, we were sitting at like 74 or 72%, I think it was, and we're down to around 60% as of September of 22, and I'm sure that's a little bit lower today. And conversely, the Chinese went from about 1% to about 3%, 2.8% of the reserves. So again, we're not talking a, a massive aggregation, but what we're talking is that the United States has never, historically was, was not the number one player when it came to reserves. It wasn't until 2001 that we really took hold uh, when we were up in the mid-70s, you know, between, let's say, the Bill Clinton era right before uh, George w. w. Bush took office. Right, or, or the U.S. dollar really took off as the world reserve currency. So we're still way above where we were back in the '90s, and we're still in a very powerful position for trading. And that's really what's important to, to understand and remember. Oh yeah, absolutely. A, a good deal of perspective is always good. I, I don't mean to fear monger. It's just an interesting metric to look at. Um, and you know, OPEC has been sending us less and less oil as time has gone on. They just announced, I think it was two weeks ago, that they're initially going to start cutting 50,000 barrels a day, which, whatever. Um, but they're going to table so, that off over the next six years. So so real quick, is, is 50,000 barrels a day, is that a significant amount? 
Is that something um, to be concerned I mean, about? Will we will we feel that? So we import just under a million barrels a day from OPEC. Um, I think it's yeah, like nine hundred and sixty million barrels or nine hundred and sixty yeah, nine hundred and sixty million barrels or cheesy peats. Uh yeah, nine hundred sixty thousand. Yeah, there we go. That that's the word. Um got you. There we go. We got at least two brain cells rubbing together now. Um so so, so fifty thousand so yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, the Energy Information Administration uh, projected that the United States in 2022 imported 8.32 million barrels per day of petroleum uh, across 80 different countries. Yes, and that and includes crude oil, hydrocarbon gas, so, refined so, products. Yeah, so that's kind of why yes, I wanted to ask that question. So, so it, it's not a statistically significant no, amount. But the the fact that they said that they're going to ramp it up as time goes on, um, and yeah, they they make up like 10 percent ish of our imports and and that's opec as a whole um and saudi was the one talking about doing the cuts although they are the i believe the majority of opec i think they're 32 percent of opec's oil reserves are held in saudi but again like like i was saying it's not nothing to like freak out about but it's just as all of this comes together it's an interesting point to look at yeah, as of uh, it is. It 2022, is. OPEC accounted for about 15% of our net, in, net imports. The Persian yeah. Gulf, about 12%. Canada made up 52%. So if Canada decides to jack prices, we're out. We're invading yep. Canada. It's done. And that's why the Keystone Pipeline is so, so huge. No problem. Do that in about a weekend. We could be in Ontario. So uh, to think Ottawa. of it, like, by country, Canada and Mexico make up 62%. So 10% for Mexico, but make up 62% of our net imports daily well just for people out there to, to understand here's the thing about canada as well right people don't know this but the, the canada defense instagram page all they do is talk shit about invading america it's hilarious and i i, I know they have like the cartoon guys from south park on there uh it, it's it's super funny you guys should definitely check it out but yeah luckily we do have a really good relationship with our our partners to the north unfortunately trudeau is a huge cuck um, so that, that kind of puts a damper on things, but, um, I really do want to focus on just the energy self-sufficiency and it's not, let me, let me digress a little bit. It's not just about energy. It's about resources in general. So the world's population has been exponentially growing for quite some time. There are some estimates that in, what is it like 70 78 years, um, the world's population will be half of what it is. I've seen some some projections out there. But if you look at the world continuing to grow at the current rate that it is, resources are going to become all that more important. And just that simple concept of not owing your enemy or not owing anyone who could become your enemy is going to become incredibly important. We may not even have a, a foreign policy. So we haven't for, I would argue, since probably post-World War II with like the Marshall Plan. Um, it really comes down to economic policy moving forward. 
that it seems to me what's going to dictate our, our stance and our, our seat at the table. Um, obviously, the UN is, is a joke. Uh, Security Council, the fact that Russia was allowed to even basically be the the chair of the Security Council uh, for a month of the United Nations is just comical, right? It's it's just a complete farce. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see this whole axis uh, emerge past its economic ties and really engage in more of a United Nations style. Might even see like a, a an alternate world court develop. Uh, I'm gonna make that hypothesis, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you that bet right on now. That? Uh, ooh, really put put some heat it? on me. Uh, uh, three years. Three years. I'll take the over on that. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I'm thinking five. Um, okay. <laughs> so to speak about money, um, and I already touched on you know, China's involvement with oil being traded on the yuan and Saudi being the one to be okay with it and how that affects the petrodollar. But what I want to go into, which is I think is super interesting, is the yuan replaced the US dollar as the most traded currency in Russia. Um, so, I mean, it, it kind of is self-evident. It makes a lot of sense. Um, we haven't been doing a whole bunch of deals with Russia ever since this whole Ukraine thing. So it would make sense for another currency to come in and kind of take its place as the most traded currency uh, in Russia. And as I talked about earlier, you know, how do you get around sanctions? You use a different currency, uh, you create your own group of friends. Um, and then how do you, get, how do you get around sanctions on moving money? Well, China created their own version of SWIFT um, which is a international uh, transfer system that I believe was started in the U S and we've kind of lent it to everyone. And that's kind of our first sanction that we slap on someone is like, if we think you've been a really bad boy and you in, you know, invaded a sovereign nation, um, no more swift for you. So, yeah, which all that's trying to do is uh, take that country's oligarchs and have them start feeling a little bit of the pain so they can apply political pressure. Yeah. That's the whole concept. Yeah, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. I appreciate that. I definitely should have put that in the notes. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to see, not necessarily how quick, but how... I No, I'll say that, how quick that yeah. this has all come about. Um, I mean, that, that's probably things, something that they... Yeah, I mean, that's probably something that they started to develop as soon as sanctions were, were slapped on them a year ago, right? Or, oh, or yeah, maybe absolutely. maybe even unbeknownst to, unbeknownst to us, us being in the Western world, they already had, a, and, and they being Russia and China, already had a plan for that. Should, should those circumstances that we inflicted on them ever arise... Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think once again, the theme of this podcast is going to be that everything has a natural and opposite um, equivalent reaction, right? Where sanctions are going to produce other friendships. What's that? I said, that's almost how Newton said it. 
Well, your mic sucks, so you broke up. Anyhow. <laughs> you can tell me later, Boomer. How about that? Roger. So with that being said, uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about China and their, their strategy, if you guys don't mind. So we've mentioned their five-point plan, uh, but I'm, I'm a lot more interested in China's 100-year plan. The reason why I'm interested in that is primarily because it's such a contrast to the United States foreign policy where we just kind of flounder around and piss off a bunch of people and create the next generation of terrorists or somebody else who's going to hate us seems to be our, our main game. All the while companies like Raytheon and other big contracting firms make billions of dollars. I don't know. I'm not sure what to call all that. That's kind of a lot to digest. Uh, I don't know, maybe we can come up with a, a cute name for our current foreign policy initiative. But but China is a lot more deliberate and they are a lot more uh, subscribing to the whole Simon Sinek concept of the infinite game. So when they put out a hundred year plan, they actually mean it. Like, hey, this is how far we're looking forward. I cannot sit here and tell you in my chair that Earth is going to be inhabitable. Right. Like yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't say that firmly. Uh, but meanwhile, these guys are like, Hey, you know what? That's fine. But if it is, here's, here's what we're going to make of it. And I, I do find that very interesting. So I wouldn't mind breaking that open a little bit more. Well, we've gone, uh, we've gone into it, you know, a few times now with China. Um, so just as a bit of a refresher, they're not, they haven't really, just thought of a 515 and 25 year plan you know they're talking 100 years out and scoping out everything you know everything from their resources to what they want their reserve bank to be made up of um and and part of that is you know things like their belt and road initiative um part of that is things like the end of the single child policy which from my understanding, wasn't being enforced for a while, um, but it was officially ended um, in 2015-ish. And the reason that they did that is because their workforce is aging out. Um, and they're trying to get ahead of that and get young people in, build up a nice base to be able to pay into Social Security and, and other things that a lot of people will be collecting on. Um and there's, there's a couple of tinfoil hat theories here. One of them isn't in the notes, and if it's too spicy, just cut me off. Um, oh, no, just just send it. Let's, all right. Let's go. So there was, there was a very tinfoil hatty theory that uh, the old Wuhan Fluhan was made to um, take care of the potential of a lot of pensioners collecting from China's social security system. Oh, so not an external bioweapon, more of an internal little housekeeping spring cleaning. Yeah. So attempt. So China has a good deal of American debt. We've borrowed um, quite a bit. I would say that we're a bit, over leveraged they have a a bit of a thumb on us not that they're pushing it yet but if they wanted to they could 
Um, so one tinfoil hat theory is that they're going to call in that debt. And while we're scrambling to figure all that out, then invade Taiwan, which is, again, a thick amount of tinfoil, but a theory nonetheless. Irish, I, would you like to weigh in on this? I wouldn't even say yeah. it's that thick. It, it, I, would, I would say that's like two layers, at least three, maybe, of, of foil, maybe yeah. boxes. Because <laughs> uh, you got to look at it a separate way. Who, who runs the global economy? That's a question to the team. Who runs the global economy? I mean, Who, whose stock market as, crashes and the rest of the world crashes too? As of now, the United States. The the United States and China, <laughs> the amount of debt the United States has with China, and, and again, my number is a little off, so I'm not going to say amount, but the amount of debt the United States has with China or that China purchased from the United States is so great that if they called in their debt, the economic collapse of China, which is already teetering, will be so profound, they wouldn't be able to pull anything together to invade Taiwan. Right? So, in the United States, the, 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 the deficit that would be created from not being able to trade with, with China if they call in their debt is something that we have in their the United States has the capability to do, just doesn't want to do. So we'd have to restart a lot of our textiles and all those other industries that we've exported to other countries to reduce the cost that it is. It would be an upfront cost for the United States. Would they just print some more money? We'd have a little more inflation. But the United States would be able to repro- be able to produce the stuff that's required in order to keep us consistent with where we want to be. It would probably take three to five years, maybe longer to get to that point. But the amount of exports that China has to the United States is much larger than the amount of imports China has from the United States, right? So they'd have to find, there'd be a massive gap in exports that they'd have to find buyers for. And that's really where we have the power is that they don't have another country or region that can fill that void that the United States has. We are a consumer nation. We consume so much and we consume so much from China that we actually have more of the power over China than China does over us. And again, that's going to be debated by scholars left and right, upside, downside, and left side, right side. And there's half of me on my side, half of me on their side. But that's from my perception of what I've, I've researched and read into, that if, the, if, if China called in their debt from the United States, in the long run, the United States would come out on top and China would, would be uh, in flaming shambles. That is a very interesting perspective that's not very often publicized. I, I hadn't heard that perspective before. That is that is very interesting. Case in point, watch the stock market. Our, ours yep. crashes. What happens to the world? Yep. And Call in our debt. Our stock market's going to crash. And then what's going to happen? Turmoil. Absolute shenanigans all over the world. Absolutely. I think that's a great point, again, to, to bring in a bit of perspective here, Irish. Um, yeah, if if we shut off the taps, they'll definitely be hurting because they are producing goods as fast as they can. And if there's no more buyers, then they're going to be sitting on their hands. And you can't forget the United States is, I think, the fifth most populous nation in the world. Right. Yeah. This is different from it was 20, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 100 years ago. The United States is is a massive consumer. And, and what are the other countries that can take over the amount that we consume, really, that's out there? A bunch of countries that really don't like China, like Iran, or not Iran, uh, India, I mean, right? The, the next yeah. largest. They really don't like each other. They just look at no. the skirmishes they have year in, year out. And, and the fighting of the Belt and Road Initiative that India is, is you know, all, always doing in the Indian Ocean region, right? So yeah. there's a massive gap that needs to be filled. So that's just, again, Irish's perspective. So, anybody disagrees, choose the DM.
Um, no, I, I definitely agree. And I, I think it's, I don't know, as, as Mida said earlier, I think it's important for us to, you know, look at how sufficient we are on, on other countries. Cause you know, you brought up India, they, they make a good deal of pharmaceuticals. And then the other side of that pie graph of where we get our pharmaceuticals is China. So it's like, yeah, hopefully they'd be able to pick up the slack and they'd be happy to do it because it would be hurt in China, but still, um, also just one thing that happened today that I don't know if y'all are super aware of the Chinese nationals that were arrested in New York city for running a covert police station. Um, there was some, some chirps about this a while ago. Can you, can you give us the background on it? Because I, I have not heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of what, what I'm planning on doing is getting okay. a little bit of background. Um, so this has been talked about, uh, I want to say like four or five months ago, there was some open source reporting on it that it was believed that China was running these police stations in the United States and putting pressure on American citizens uh, who have either ties to China or are Chinese uh, and came to the U S and they're, there were, you know, claims that they were here continuing to influence them with the social credit score that they were using in China, putting pressure on people and their families to not speak out against China. Um, and part of this investigation centers around that. Um, so basically they, they get this nondescript um, office. And out of that office, they're doing some basic things like helping Chinese citizens renew their Chinese driver's licenses. Um, But they did that without asking the U.S. if they were allowed to, or if they could operate a Chinese state-run institution on U.S. soil. Uh, It was completely done hush-hush. But then allegedly um, these two named officers of the, the Chinese national police um, were attempting to locate uh, pro democracy activists of Chinese descent living in California. Um, so now they're tracking and targeting, putting political pressure on United States citizens within U S borders operating out of a covert, you know, quasi police station. Um, this is this is real fresh. I just yeah yeah this happened today. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah they got arrested today. Yeah. This is yeah this is today's news, huh? Yeah. So when you say so, wild, and they're they're not uniformed police. They are people who are policing Chinese nationals. No, so they're they're not uniformed police because that would be kind of wild. Um, <laughs> right, that's they, what I mean, where my mind went to. Yeah, so they um, they work for the Ministry of Public Security in China. Um, so they are Chinese law enforcement, but no, they're not uniformed officers because <laughs> uh, that would be phenomenal. Um, and this. Yeah, uh, Irish is tossing in the chat right now. This isn't a new thing, and and I was going to touch on that. I mean, huh. 
everywhere. It's new to the main, mainstream media. I hadn't heard about this before. Yeah. Well, all right. Are we barking now? Okay, we're barking now. Um, Irish, I'll, I'll let you take over on where else uh, this kind of activity has been found because I wanted to touch on that as well. Yeah, you almost got the dogs barking in the background for me as well. Um, but so it's been happening for, for a while. And there's a report talking about over 100 of these Chinese police stations in foreign countries, mainly in Europe and, and Africa, but popping up now in the United States and, and others. But one interesting thing that I found uh, in a couple articles was that particularly in, in Italy, there's a series of bilateral security deals between China and them that were uh, happened in 2015, 16, 17, whatnot, that they've tried to keep silent and secret, but essentially the, the Italian police conducted joint patrols with Chinese police in Rome, Milan, Naples, a number of other places. The, there's an NGO out there that was looking and determined that Italy has 11 of these police stations. So in, in a number of their, their big cities over there, there's a, a number of, of countries that have close ties between them. China has struck de- deals in Croatia and Serbia to do similar things that they do in Italy. right? So this is not a new thing. It's just a new thing that is in our news in the United States and has been found in the U.S., I'm sure the United States government, I'm not talking for the government at this point in time, but I, I can almost guarantee the United States government knows about them, has been monitoring them, and has not said anything in order to keep people from spinning up in this craziness we're doing today. But now that it's the coolest thing that's out there to, uh, to push a narrative, it's going into the news. Yeah, and now that the barking's over with for now, um, I do want to point out the United States has a couple of law enforcement entities in other countries. Um, a good example of that is NYPD, oddly enough, um, has a whole bunch of foreign offices. And by that, I mean like six, but it's still kind of weird that they have six of them. Um, but those are marked offices with, you know, full cooperation with the host country's government. Uh, and it's mainly for, well, they claim it's mainly for, um, counterterrorism training and intelligence sharing. But again, that's coming out and saying, Hey, we're putting this entity in this office building. Is that okay with you? Can we work together? Can we both, you know, increase our country's law enforcement efforts by doing this? Awesome. But this is an example of the Chinese government, you know, renting out uh, an office space. Like, and I'm sure that it's, you know, to some parent company in Shenzhen or wherever, and then putting their own internal police officers there to spy pressure and, you know, God knows what else Chinese nationals living in the United States or even U S citizens. Yeah. And I would, uh, I would liken that to looking at mission sets um, just so folks are aware who are not, Army, former Army, special operations community, any of that stuff. Uh, You've got a big difference between FID, which is Foreign Internal Defense, which falls more along the lines of of Bro Neal's model for the NYPD and their their six foreign offices, which is saying, hey, we're invited and we're here to help you guys and source intelligence and conduct joint training, things of that nature. And then you've got the UW, which is your unconventional warfare, which is basically means uh, you were not invited. 
and you are functioning against the host nation who either doesn't realize that they're hosting you or doesn't want to be hosting you. So, and that more so falls along the lines of the Chinese model. Um, but I, I don't want to dig it too, too much more into China. I think that we've definitely painted a very clear, uh, concise, and accurate picture of their economic capabilities, their intelligence capabilities, as well as their intent. Uh, because it, I think that they haven't really hidden it. I do like their uh, their broad sweeps and different verbiage that they use to try to uh, like very, very graciously cover up all the bad shit that they're doing. It's really funny. Uh, you know, as previously mentioned, adding surveillance system to a, a Chinese area saying, oh, yeah, we're just doing that to deter crimes there to, like, look out for this Chinese neighborhood. It's like, are you are you doing that or are you just going to use facial recognition to identify every dissident and uh, put bags on their heads and, or seize their assets or, you know, mess with their families? Yeah, mess with their families. And, here at home. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that is alleged is that um, one of the individuals that first reported this to local law enforcement was having his family at home pressured by um, the Chinese government back there. Oh, yeah. No, so, of course. That's, that's how they do things, you know. That's, yeah. That's their MO. Yeah. So, so I thought that was interesting. Also, I, I pulled the number. It's uh, 16 there are 16 foreign NYPD offices. Okay. Nice. Still That's a lot more know. than I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. It's up then, there for sure. It is. Yeah, if we're ready to dive into Russia a little bit. Um, yeah, I'd like to do that. Let, let's talk about them. I know that they've been uh, very much on everyone's radar. Yeah, a little bit. We've talked about them a few times over the past, I don't know, few years. Um, yeah. So Russia is one of the countries that's using the yuan to purchase oil. We all saw that coming. Um, yeah. They're also making trades to other countries for for uh, oil. One of those countries, as I mentioned before, I think I mentioned it, um, Japan is now buying oil from Russia. Which I'm like, Japan, you're our homies. What are you doing? But hey, they got a good deal, so get that bag, Japan. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, though, you have to do that. That's yeah. where I'm like, I've been asked before. I've been asked this, and it kind of makes sense given some of the background there. But it's like, oh, what what country do you hate? And I'm like, everyone can be useful. Like, yeah, none of them because they're all trying to just look out for themselves, and I can't really fault them for that. Yeah, you know, just, yeah, exactly. You know, I, you know, real recognize real. Like we'd be doing the same thing if we if we had to or if we could. Um, um but yeah, so Russia and China's relationship is has gone a little bit farther than just uh, using their currency to purchase oil. <laughs> it's, I mean. It's exactly what we've been saying, right? You make the bad boys club and then they're going to be trading Pokemon cards with each other instead of with a view. And, you know, you, you might not be Pokemon cards anymore. Damn. All the bad boys have it. We got, we got, we got <laughs> Harry Potter analogies. We got Pokemon analogies. Bringo. Dude, people are going to think that we haven't touched a, a woman. 
We got to be careful. <laughs> I, I'm sure people think a lot less of us than that, as it already is. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, well, that's on them. <laughs> it's not my fault. Yeah, they're just haters. But so you know, where is Russia going to get their munitions? Well, China. Um, China's now saying that they're spooling up, and I believe they had to change out tooling for whatever. Uh, artillery piece Russia fields um, but Russia will be or sorry as it was China will be making uh, munitions for them and um, I don't know I, I definitely don't feel like Russia's wrong in this one instance and that's their continued anti-NATO feelings um, sure and and I've I've voiced this before, and it's like you know if Mexico and North Korea and Russia entered a you know oh. bilateral military agreement and allowed North Korean forces to be stationed on the U.S. southern border, we'd be pissed. Well, right. Think think about how we the United States got a hair across their ass during the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Yeah, precisely, yeah. precisely. <laughs> well. Actually, even during World War One, one of the things that brought us in was an intercepted telegram between Germany and Mexico, and Germany was trying to prompt Mexico to invade us, right? That yeah, was a exactly. big deal. So we can't be hypocrites, you know, to Bronil's point. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, Russia's always been kind of flamboyant with their NATO hate. Um but I don't know. I, I definitely don't think that they're in the wrong for thinking that, especially now that Finland's being added to NATO. So that's another border country that's going up as a NATO homie. So they're definitely feeling the heat. Um, and then the Discord leaks. Yeah, let's let's talk about what was uh what was the the name there? It wasn't Johnny Kringleson? Uh, <laughs> Donnie Bringo. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is one of those stories that's always hard to really make heads or tails of, right? Because it's now at the point of what's what's complete misinformation. What is the real deal um, from what digging I've done, the United States has done a pretty good job of removing those from at least public access. And by that, I mean uh, clear net deep web. They're definitely still there. Um, but again, when I say what's, what's real and what's misinformation, there's also reports that the U S has released additional documents that, you know, go against the compromised intelligence. So to, you know, attempt to obscure the actual truth. It's um, kind of like, kind of like the episode of the office when, uh, when, when Michael accidentally lets it slip that what Pam and Jim are pregnant. And so then he tells a, a lie about everyone else in the <laughs> office to try to, to, try to hide it. I got, I got to yeah. say, boys, our analogies tonight are on yeah. point. And I'm usually not good with analogies. At least that's, that's what tough. my wife tells me. Um, but yeah, that so, was uh, 
Never mind. I was going to make a really inappropriate joke. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, yeah, the, sorry. these leaks allegedly came from uh, a 21 year old airman from the Massachusetts air guard. Um, he wasn't even supposed to access these files, but he's in some form of IT and therefore had access to the file system. So much for um, need to know. Yeah, I I mean I'm I'm sure I I've been there. It's a nice place. They got a lot of computers. <laughs> um But yeah, that's that's a massive failure and apparently uh he was posting it um, to this discord server just for clout. Um, basically saying like, Hey, like I, I know exactly what's going on. Like Russia's not winning. Like here, look at this. Um, as, as a former company commander, you. (laughs) Okay. Anytime anyone starts off a sentence with that, I was just going to say, I have to shudder. You often go to sleep terrified of what your Joes will do. Uh, this this was never one of those things that that I ever <laughs> ever thought well, like, well, I I couldn't even imagine that's, getting a phone that's, call. That's fair. As as this guy's company come in, and like what? <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. I something don't... happened. And I hit a button. It's kind of funky though. I was down. Yeah, there. yeah. It's like, all right. So guys, close your eyes and picture. That's that's Boomer's ringtone. He's a company commander's first sergeant's calling him to inform him no, that one of his soldiers decided to leak a bunch of shit for Cloud. It'd be the battalion commander. Yeah, at that point, yeah, yeah. I don't think he'd pop up on the blotter for that. It'd be a little more severe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was a bad weekend for the National Guard all around. There there were some other other National Guard soldiers who, who made headlines trying to sign up to be a contract killer and it was like NCIS or something that they were applying to. But anyways, sorry. Hey dude, A for effort, you know, homie knows what he wants to be when he grows up. It just didn't work out for him. Uh Yep. Yeah, and what didn't work out for the U.S. intelligence community is the fact that this stuff sat on the Discord server since, I think, December of 2022. Um, so, <laughs> Oof. I mean, that that helps in a way that, you know, if it wasn't, like, leaked out of that Discord um, and it just kind of sat there before someone leaked it, then at least that intel's a little bit old, but it... Uh, it seems like there was some some decent stuff on there, um, including how many Western nations have special forces operating in Ukraine, like on the ground. Um, and you know, the usual players were there: us, the UK. Yeah, Canada. that was that was huge because that's something that we have denied for a while. So I view that as being one of the, let's say, most uh, painful or harmful results of this leak yeah um, and i'll say all all of this now is available open source i mean anything that we're we're talking about i mean i've i've seen pretty much yeah. every major every major news network somehow viewing these things and 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 reporting on it so now that's that's a good point so calm your breathing fed boy relax yeah. if you're out there listening and what's also kind of funny though is is watching different countries react. You know, it's like it's like someone telling a 
a secret and then trying to trying to admit or deny it. But the two people that are in the know said the opposite things. And you're like, all right, so you're both lying. Um, and that's kind yes, of what happened. The UK was like, yeah, no, like this is all incorrect. Like this is not actual and Intel. This is not even intelligence. This is, this is all wrong numbers. And then the U S same day comes out and says, Oh yeah, no, that shit's real. We're going after that little fuck or a uh, little guy. And, uh, <laughs> little beep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of hilarious to watch. You're right though. <laughs> you, you know, you think of the U S and the UK as like, you know, pretty well put together, MI6, the CIA, you know, these big organizations that have histories of being somewhat accurate. Uh, and then they just completely fumble the bag. And it's kind of hilarious to watch, but you know, we'll, we'll see what comes out of that court case, but it definitely won't help things in Ukraine. Yeah, no, for real. But I think the other, other bit there is that, uh, <laughs> you know, Russia has been very adamant that we've been stacking the deck against them for quite some time now. And that's inevitably going to be proven and negatively affect a lot of the, I guess, facets of this axis that we're talking about. Right. It it just, it just goes to show that we, we think as a country that we can just be this master puppeteer and get away with everything we want to. And that is without a doubt going to further that fire. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. So one thing I do want to do, we're, oh man, we're at an hour 10. There's just so much to talk about on this one. Um, But I, I would like to break it down a little bit and do a quick dime rundown. So fast and furious. We'll just keep alternating between Bronio and Boomer as we, we start rocking down through the model. Just a, a quick little response, or sorry, reminder. Diplomacy, intelligence, military, economics. Those are the uh, four main facets of national power or power in general. And uh, the thing is, is that a lot of them are, are siloed off and therefore not all that effective. But if you take them and you put them all together, you mix them up, you put them in a, a blender, put a little sprig of mint on top, and you get the fifth option or the fifth path, which is path five. And that's where it came from. That's how we actually originated that. So we're like this, this mojito version of dime. where We got everything, everything that you want and need all right here under one house. You're welcome. Broniel, hit us with a D. So the big D, if you will, um, looking at people flexing uh, diplomatic strength here, using their diplomacy brain. I think the biggest two that we talked about was uh, Saudi allowing OPEC to take the yuan. I think that's massive. That shows that China's been pushing it and Saudi's liking what they're serving up. Oh, yeah. Um, So many conversations behind the scenes must have led to that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, and also a lot of behind the scenes conversations had to happen for China brokering that deal between Saudi and Iran. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of crazy to see all these things come together. I, I know I said it earlier, but the timeline of all these things come together is kind of, kind of wild. So those are the, the two in the big D category for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we covered the big D category. Uh, how about the big I? 
like a walleye or like a, oh, I know. It's just like Bad Boy Sue. It's like big eyes, but a nice fucking fish. So, so what do we got with the big eyes here? We got we got G, we got poutine, we got a bunch yeah. of stuff going on here. We got uh, G and uh, uh, Vladarim Pietnam um, having a series of talks in late March of 2023. Uh, and that's the first in-person talks that have gone on since Ukraine popped off. Um, and uh, yeah, then the Minecraft Discord leaks, that's huge. In, I mean, it's literally Intel that was leaked. So I think that definitely plays a role. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, what I just brought up with the Chinese Popo operating out of a, you know, some weird business property. I think that's huge for intelligence because it shows that not only are they, you know, using their state assets in our country to gain intelligence, but they're doing it on United States citizens. Um, so I think it's an absolutely massive, massive eye category right there. Some thick eye. Some thick eye. Perfect. All right. Uh, getting to M. So what are we seeing going on to, to summarize everything? Um, so, I mean, obviously, we've known anecdotally for quite a long time that China and Russia have had a strategic partnership militarily. However, we've obviously seen that that's um, grown um, very, very significantly um, in, in in the last few months. Uh, you know, um, the Chinese now have, uh, you know, will be supporting uh, manufacturing to help the armed effort um, in in Ukraine. Um, I would say that. Uh, one of the, the, the very interesting things or events that would signify kind of the, the next advanced uh, tier or level of their growing partnership would be kind of the, the sharing of sensitive of information, tech, intel. You know, maybe Russia starts licensing the manufacturer of some of its, its more sensitive equipment to China, um, which, which really shows... Um, the level of trust that the, that the two nations have uh, with each other. And, and the other thing that's interesting too, is that um, I think uh, it shows um, the, the messaging, you know, between uh, so um, president uh, G recently, recently visited Russia um, to proclaim uh, their kind of support, right, for 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 what the country was going through, um, and I think that that shows, you know, Zelensky visited the U.S. to to try to uh, bolster support for the uh, the efforts, the military efforts in Ukraine. Um, it was uh, kind of a a fundraising, um, right, fundraising session. Well, it, yeah, I really cry. Cry. Yeah. messaging would have been a lot different militarily had uh, Putin gone to China. However, it was the other way around. Um, and, and I think that really that really says something. Ch China, you know, 
Uh, Putin didn't have to go to China to, for a fundraising effort. China willingly came to them and, and visited him in the capital. So, oh, that I think that's a great point. I really do. I think that that touches on a lot of the facets of Dime in that sense, not just the military piece sitting behind the M. Um, I really do. I think that's a great way of looking at it. There's a lot of signaling and, and symbology when looking at who interacts with who, who goes where, what are they wearing, what are they talking about. And uh, I really, really do agree with you on that one. So let's, we spent a lot of time talking about E, actually, the economic side, but I wouldn't mind uh, cracking that egg open a little bit, maybe make a little, little omelet with it, bro, Neil. What do you happen to think about? I mean, we've talked about the use of the Juan outside the U.S. We've talked about purchasing oil. What else we got? Uh, we got a few things. Um, so, I, I mean, the Yuan to purchase oil is, is a massive one. As uh, Irish gave us earlier, a little bit of perspective is always helpful. Um, it's not the end-all, be-all, but I do think it's a good uh, barometer, if you will, to show change. And then economically, the Straits of um, Ormuz, is it, between um, Iran and... Uh... Ormuz. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, I put way too much on that. Yeah, Ormuz, Ormuz. Yeah, so opening that up for, uh, for economic trade, uh, or a little bit more economic trade, I should say, uh, is a huge deal for a China broker. Um, and it just furthers China's economic position um, because they they're starting to be seen as the, the makers, the movers and shakers of the world uh, where we once held that. I think we still hold that for the most part, seeing as NATO keeps expanding, but um, also economically a bit of pressure from OPEC, the uh, decline of the barrels being shipped out to the U S and, um, them pulling that back, which isn't, again, it's not really all that surprising. I mean, you look at the member countries of OPEC and it's like, I don't know, there's like, what, 15 of them? I forget now. But the main ones are Venezuela, Russia, and and uh, Saudi Arabia, and Iran as well. But it's like, they're all not really our homies now. So the oil conglomerate that they are all a member of might be less favorable to us. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if Un- the unfortunately, that is, you know, un- unfortunately those in power, I'm going to put on my premonition cap again here. Um, they're going to use that as justification to push the electric car agenda, which is fine and dandy. However, we do not actually possess the infrastructure necessary to support said electric car revolution, shall we say. Plug-in hybrids are the only way to do it. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is, right? Like, there's just not enough infrastructure in place with our power grids and charging stations to even enable that. Not to mention the charging stations have been getting shucked recently where junkies are taking off the power cords and selling them for scrap. But I think that could be a whole other podcast right there. I don't want to get too, too deep into the, to the weeds on EVs. Yeah, definitely. We might have to do another podcast on that. 
considering I, uh, <laughs> I spent an awful lot of time dealing with them and some of the conceptualization and design behind them. It is, it is kind of interesting. It's been a medium long one, not too, too long, but you know, we're sitting at about an hour 20. It's an information packed one. I'm glad that we had Irish here to, uh, lend some of that beautiful mind of his to us. And, uh, we thank you all for being here. We thank you all for listening to the path five podcast. And as always, Make sure to do some business with the people that do business with us. Our friends over at uh, Mission First Tactical, they're always running something good. I mean, their research and development team, I, I don't even think they sleep. You know, they're just always out there making new stuff. And use code PATH5 at checkout. I believe all one word, all capital works. 20% um, off. It should work. Capital P, capital F. Capital or, P, capital F. Do that first and then, yeah. and then capitalize more. Uh, I, I got to buy some eggs this weekend. So I'll, I'll check it out and report back to you. Make sure you check out our store if you want to directly help us out. We got some cool shirts running. We got team hats going on. We got all sorts of fun stuff coming down the pipeline. All those links in our Insta, in the bio. Check it out. Also, a huge shout out to um, Locks. Always coming up with new flavors. I mean, this guy's got some delicious smelling and holding hair products. I mean, they don't make my hair feel greasy. I got some nice firm poof when I want it. It gives me a lot of head body. I think that's a term. I don't know. I don't do things with my hair. But anyways, check it all out, folks. We appreciate the time that you've given us today, so we won't take any more of it. Be good.